one of those years when we really have to be very careful to stop and be thankful because it would be real easy to find more things than we ought to be thinking about that we wouldn't appreciate than finding those things that are, and yet there's so much more that we have to be thankful for. I trust that that this time of the year has uh, stirred your heart to not forget. Maybe sometimes we take for granted when life is simple and easy, but uh, in the craziness and difficult times in which we live, uh, we've got to really focus on all that we do and still do have to be thankful to God for. And I trust that that is the spirit of your heart. Listen, this morning, um, I want to talk to you about giving. Plain and simple. I don't have any fancy introductions. Stay with me. All right? Relax. It's okay. Some of you are kind of grabbing your wallet. Wait a minute. What's again? Uh, we're, we're not going to take another offering. It's okay. Um, I don't have any guilt-inducing stories or illustrations. This is not a pressure pack speech plan just before the vote on the budget, right? And, uh, and neither is it uh, a message simply because our giving is behind this year. Quite truthfully, folks, uh, churches all across our country, giving is way off. And uh, you would expect that. Uh, I was reading some research that Barna did the other day just saying that uh, most churches are, on average, are experiencing a 36% return to in-person services. And we're well above that. And I'm grateful uh, to God for that. Grateful for you folks for being here. And last Sunday, Paul, you're absolutely right on. It was a great time. Uh, I think we had somebody at one point count. We had about 120. I'm sure there were maybe a few more, but we had a great time in our harvest lunch together, and trust you were able to take advantage of that. But it is my desire this morning to help you understand giving as one of the most positive, encouraging, faith-stretching, joy-producing, life-inspiring experiences that you and I as followers of Jesus could ever experience. I mean that, really. That is what giving ought to be. And if you're not experiencing that kind of joy, that kind of inspiration in your giving, then then you've missed what God says about giving. Giving has taken a bad rap in our churches. And, and maybe that's our preacher's fault, pastor's fault. I don't know, but, but it certainly isn't God's fault because it's a significant amount of time God spends talking about giving. And so we come up with uh, fancy titles or, or you know, uh, real encouraging or challenging slogans. And, and we use those, and I thought of a whole bunch of those I could use as a title for my message this morning. But again, I didn't want anyone to think that I'm trying to dress up uh, this subject of giving or cover up and hide it by saying other things uh, or sneak in the back door and all of a sudden you, oh wait, he's talking about giving. No, didn't want to do it that way. Didn't want to just give you glitzy sounding words. 
about giving so that it would appear to be more positive. Listen, we don't have to make it more positive than it is. Giving is one of the most amazing things that you and I can do as followers of Jesus to show our love and appreciation for God and as a means of worship for him. Uh, Money is often viewed like religion and politics, right? That's what they say. You should never talk about religion and politics because you'll lose friends and and make enemies. And and maybe we could add COVID to that list of things right now, right? That don't talk about, we've talked about it too much. uh, but but we, we many times think about those things in, in such a negative way, and money is right in the midst of that religion and politics thing. But today, I simply want to share my heart with you about what God says about giving. Because Jane and I have really come to know the joy of giving. And just when I think that we are giving all we ought to give, God stirs our hearts, and it's like, okay, you can do more because it's not about what I have or what we have, Jane and I, but it's about what God has for us to give. And so this morning, not just about giving, but more specifically, I want to talk to you about generosity. Heritage for years has been a generous church. I will tell you, And I don't have uh, the statistics, folks. But I guarantee you, just from listening to the missionaries, when we take missionary offerings, we take special offerings whenever we have missionaries here. You know that. If you've been here at all, you know we do that every time. We are far above the average church in the offerings that we give to our missionaries. I mean, some of them are just like, Whoa. I mean, we're regularly, I don't know exactly what the average is, but it's at least $1,000, honestly, on the missionary giving, offerings, the, the, the offerings that we have for our speakers. You could talk, and, and, and that's just when they compare to wherever else they've been, and it's not because we're a giant church. Some of our missionaries visit other churches that are twice our size or more, and yet you folks give generously. And praise God for that. And our missionaries do praise God for that. So I want to talk to you about generosity and ask you to open your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're actually going to look at verses 8 and 9. We'll start at chapter 8 and verse 1. But 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and uh, that's where we'll be. We're looking at those two chapters. Now, in the time that we have together this morning, there's no way I could cover all of what God says about giving, and certainly not even all of what, what we read about giving in these two chapters, but these are two key chapters, and I would encourage you to study on your own uh, what Paul says, what he tells the church at Corinth about giving. And so we're going to look at it, Second Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1, and here's how Paul begins, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace, the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, Paul's collecting money. He's taking an offering. It's about a three- or four-year, maybe a little longer than that process from the time he started to the time that we understand it actually got delivered. But he was taking an offering for the believers in the church in Jerusalem. That's where it all began, the day of Pentecost. 
Acts chapter 2. They were poverty stricken. We know that historically. They were suffering because of persecution. They're suffering. There was a famine in the land. There was a severe tax burden that the Roman government had placed on them. And they were struggling, the believers there in the church of Jerusalem. And the churches in Macedonia, which would be Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, uh, those would be the three significant ones. You could read about them in the book of Acts. Paul's missionary journeys, as we call them, three of them found in the book of Acts. And he talks about, if you remember, his traveling through starting churches in Philippi, uh, Thessalonica, and Berea. And those churches, the Macedonian churches, the believers had already given a significant gift, significant offering to the church in Jerusalem. And this gift came from people who were living in severe poverty. We'll see that here in just a minute in verses 2 and 3. Living in severe poverty and yet demonstrated, Paul says, an overflowing joy in their circumstances. The persecution, the suffering, the famine, an overflowing joy in the midst of all that that resulted in sacrificial and very generous giving. Paul says, Giving beyond their ability. Wow. Giving beyond their ability. And Paul says, the believers in those churches in Macedonia, they far and away exceeded his expectations of what they give when he asked them to participate in the offering. Actually, as we'll see, they offered. They volunteered because Paul didn't want to put the pressure on them, and yet they gave beyond their ability. And Paul is passing on this account of the grace that God had given to the believers in those churches in Macedonia that allowed them as such a positive example to encourage the Corinthian church to follow their example. Paul's saying, listen, the Macedonian churches were in a rough shape, and yet they gave beyond what we expected and he wants to encourage the Corinthian church to do likewise he wants them to 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 uh, the Macedonian churches to be a real positive example to the Corinthians to encourage them uh, to be willing and to follow through they had already made a commitment to give but they had had some problems in the church and, and had gotten a little lax. And now Paul is trying to stir them up. In fact, he gets Titus involved to say, hey, get involved. You, you guys made a, a start to an offering. Finish it so that we can get it delivered to the needy believers down in Jerusalem. Now Paul is challenging them to finish the work they started with their offering. Complete their giving. And so as we read these two chapters, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, you can't miss the emphasis on generosity. It's really not just about giving, it's generosity. That's what Paul is challenging them with. Generosity is, is not an amount. It's not a percentage. Generosity is, is dependent on the individuals that are involved. And he's saying, be generous. And that's the emphasis here. He's driving home this concept to the churches, 
to the church in Corinth. And with that as the background, I, I want us to take a look at these, and we're going to kind of hit the peaks as we go through these two chapters, and, and hopefully it'll be something for you to, to re-study, to re-read through. And those of you in the community groups this week, you'll have, I'm sure, some good opportunity for some spirited discussion on what it means to be generous in our giving. So I want you to know, first of all, as we look at these first four verses, number one, you can be generous. You can be. Each of us who are followers of Jesus, we can be generous. And here's what Paul says. We already looked at verse one, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonia churches. He goes on, and he says, in the midst of a very severe trial, that's what I was talking to you about, the persecution, the suffering, the famine that they were experiencing, the extreme tax burden in the midst of a very severe trial or test. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Wow. Verse 3. And I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Now think about that. If they gave as much as they were able and beyond their ability, where did that come from? The grace of God. That's what he said in verse 1. The grace of God. God's grace working in the lives of of the Macedonian believers. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, the Lord's people in the church in Jerusalem. The Macedonian believers who were in severe poverty, a, 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 a difficult trial and time in their lives, begged Paul urged, pleaded with Paul for the privilege of sharing. Wow. It doesn't sound like uh, what we typically think of when we talk about giving today, does it? They asked, oh, they pleaded with Paul, let us give. We want to be part of the offering for the believers in Jerusalem. Wow. But that's exactly because that's how they viewed the opportunity for giving. Now, this doesn't mean that their gift, the Macedonian church's gift, was the largest gift that had ever been given, but that it was simply beyond their means. They gave what they could. That was their ability. And beyond was what God's grace provided so that they could give. Clearly, the grace of God. It wasn't giving based upon what they had in their bank account. Because he said they gave of their ability, but beyond that. See, God took over. God provided his grace. We can do anything that God asks us to do because he is the one who shows himself strong on our behalf. He is the one who provides the grace. It's his grace, not our ability. And that's what Paul was saying the Macedonian believers had given. And we can learn to give beyond our ability because it's God's stuff. It's God's stuff that we have, right? 
all of the stuff that we have is not really ours. It's God's. All of it. We have it because God gave us the strength to earn it or get it or work for it or whatever it may be. But it's all because of God. And we don't own a thing. I'll get to that in just a minute. But we can give beyond our ability because God wants us to be generous with his stuff. You see, when we realize it's his stuff, it makes a difference, right? It's always easier to give away somebody else's stuff, right? Yeah, sure it is. And uh, so, so as we look at that, so there you go as we talk about fact number one, you can be generous. Secondly, giving means being all in. Giving means being all in. If we're going to learn to be generous, we've got to be all in. That's what Paul says was true of the Macedonian believers. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, And they, the Macedonian believers, exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord. And then by the will of God also to us. You see, they first of all gave themselves completely to God. We're talking they were all in. They, they, they had given it all to him. God was by far and away priority in their lives. Not just prominent. He was preeminent in their lives. And that's what Paul said. They, they exceeded our expectations because they first of all gave themselves. Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, probably a number of you have committed this to, to memory, uh, where Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. What's he doing? He's saying, we present our lives, our bodies first to God as a living sacrifice and Paul goes on, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. See, as we give ourselves, not just what we have, that's all God's, but we first give ourselves, that's key, if in fact we're going to give of the stuff that we're managing for God. The key to life as followers of Jesus, we are not our own God owns us. He is the owner. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, dwelling places of the Holy Spirit of God? Who is in you? When we trust Christ as Savior, when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, because Jesus died in our place for our sins. You've heard that before, right? He went to the cross to pay for our sin. When we believe and receive, we receive the Holy Spirit. He comes to dwell in us the minute we're saved, the minute we exercise faith, the minute we believe. And when that happens, we get all the Holy Spirit there is to get. And at that moment, he dwells in us. He's in us whom you've received from God. You, here it is, you are not your own. Wow. You are not your own. Why? 
because you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. Some translations, which are his. You are not your own. We've been bought at a price. What was the price? The blood of Jesus. Jesus died in our place for our sins. He paid the price for our sin. He paid our debt with his blood. And that's why we are saved. And that's why we're not our own. We are God's. The moment we trust Christ, the moment we say, I believe, Jesus died for me in my place for my sins. I am saved and I am no longer my own. The Macedonian believers first gave themselves. One writer put it this way, the essence of life is not ownership but stewardship. You see, we make a big deal. Well, that's mine. I own this, and, 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 and we celebrate, you know, mortgage, right? I won't ask how many of you have ever paid off your mortgage, but, but uh, not me yet. I, I hope to one of these days, but, but when we do with, oh, the house is mine. No, it's not. It's God's, right? The essence of life is not ownership, but stewardship, the faithful Management of all that God has given to us. We are to be stewards, to manage God's stuff for him while we're alive on this earth. I was thinking about that, and I thought, well, I must have seen this quote somewhere, but I couldn't find it anywhere, so I just wrote it down. It's not about what you own, but who owns you. It's not about what you own, but who owns you we're not our own thirdly you can excel in giving said you can be generous three you can excel in giving paul says this in verse six he goes on second corinthians chapter eight so we urge titus i mentioned that earlier just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace this giving on your part Titus is coming to collect the offering, to finish the collection. But, verse 7, since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. The, the Corinthian believers were a very gifted church. You get back and, and I, we're looking at the possibility of starting a study in 1 Corinthians, the beginning of January. And it'll take us through the year. And one of the things that we find when you get to chapter 12 is that they've been gifted by God. Spiritual gifts. God-given ability for service. That's what it's about. And Paul's saying... You excel in these gifts, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in love. How about if you excel in giving? You see, that's not one of those things that we, we think about. One of the things the believers were doing in the church, they were trying to outdo one another with their other gifts and serving that, in that regard. Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians, after he'd written his first epistle to them, he's saying... 
Why don't you think about excelling in the grace of giving? Now, I don't think Paul's saying, hey, let's have a contest, right? But he is saying, think about it. Excel in giving. Nothing that we have is ours. It's all God's. We have what we have, and we are what we are, purely, simply because of his grace. I'm just going to keep moving on here. Number four, you can choose to give sparingly or generously. Drop down to chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. There's so much there in chapter 8, and you can, you can see all of what Paul is talking about and encouraging the Corinthians to finish that, taking that offering, but he moves down to chapter 9, and in chapter 9, verse 6, we read this, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Does that sound familiar at all to you? You've heard that before. We use that just about every area of life, don't we? And um, I think of Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Paul wrote that. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Now, typically, when we hear that verse, it's a great truth. It's a phenomenal biblical principle. It's true of all of life, not just giving. But a man reaps what he sows. We typically put that in a negative light, don't we? We usually say that to somebody who's not living as they ought. We usually say that to somebody who ought to be doing something there. Hey, listen, you're going to reap what you sow. I'm not sure that Paul ever intended that to be a negative, have a negative twist or emphasis to it. I think it's a very positive thing. Paul says, a man will reap what he sows. Not more than he sows, what he sows. And when we do look at it, after we've used it in a negative light, we then turn it around and say, so we need to think about what we're, re- what we're sowing as individuals. We need to give. We need to do all kinds of things because as we talk about this, and we, you know, this would apply to your job. What you put into it, you get out of it. How hard you work will determine maybe how long you stay in that job. It might also, it will certainly determine how you get paid or not. Uh, We talk about students, grades in school, what you sow. If you study hard, if you work hard, you'll reap good grades if you take the time. Music lessons, right? The same thing. If you give the time to that instrument, put yourself into it, you'll sow the results of being a good musician. Thanksgiving meal. Thank you. I I, I would say ladies who cooked, but there might be some of you men who cooked. So whoever cooked the meal in your home, wow, you put something into it. And if you had a good meal, you you reaped what you sowed, whoever that cook was. And we could go on and on and on. Parents, what you reap, you'll sow with your kids. What you reap, you'll sow in your marriage. What you reap, you'll sow in your abilities, in the way you use your time, in the way you use your resources, your money. How about your walk with God? Sometimes we wonder, well, why aren't we reaping a real 
exciting, a real, alive walk with God because we're not sowing a lot sometimes. You can reap a harvest if you sow the seed. We reap what we sow. Not more than what we sow, but what we sow. You've heard the term return on investment. Whoever invented that term got it from here. When we invest, we want to return. So when you use your time for God, what will happen? You will reap what you sow. Fifthly, you should give. You should give. And when you give, it should be intentionally and cheerfully. You should give. That's what Paul is saying. And when, it, when we do, it should be intentionally and cheerfully. Look at verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. That's the intentional part of it. you got to be intentional. you got to think about it. you got to pray about it. Husbands and wives, you ought to talk about it. I sometimes don't do as well with that as I ought with Jane. Sometimes she'll, I, I've said, well, I did this and was, wow, we, I didn't, we didn't talk sometimes about those things. And I think that's critical. But we need to intentionally think about, talk about, pray about how to give, what we're going to give. I think that's critical. See, I think the idea involved in being intentional is that we actually plan and pray and think through what we're going to give. A lot of times we just, eh, I just open my wallet, which I don't even have in my pocket. Uh, um, and, and, and we just open it up and throw in whatever there. Or what, we don't give it a lot of intentionality. We just kind of do whatever we happen to have with us at the moment. So he says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give before God. And when you do that, intentionally, not reluctantly or under compulsion, Paul says in verse 7, but for God loves a cheerful giver. I, I, I am sorry if we, if I, if we as a church have ever made you feel under compulsion to give because that's never the way any of us ought to give not because we have to not reluctantly well I'm not sure I really was thinking about something else for this $20 bill but okay no that's not how God says we ought to give to God Loves a cheerful giver. And you know what? You know what that means? That means giving can be a cheerful thing. Hey, listen. Less than a month away is Christmas. And on Christmas morning, I'm assuming for most of us, I, I realize it's, it's different for everybody. But at Christmas morning, when somebody opens the gift that we bought to give to them, right? There's a smile on our face, right? 
because you got what that individual, maybe your husband, your wife, one of your kids, your brother, your sister, your good friend, whoever it may be, you really worked hard to get something special for them and, and it's all wrapped up and they open it and they, you just see the, the giver or the, the getter, man, of course they're happy, well we hope, right? If we've done our homework, right? So the getter is happy, but the giver is like, wow, yeah, they love it. And that's why we read in Scripture, we're told that Jesus said it is better to give than receive. See, giving ought to be a joy. We would agree with that. We all know what it's like to be a giver and experience the joy of giving. We just like to get more. Sometimes. It seems the older we get, the more joy we get from giving than getting. It's almost like, you've, ah, I don't need any. You ever feel that way? Hey, what do you want for Christmas? Or hey, what do you want for your birthday? Maybe it's because we're getting old and we don't be reminded. I'm not sure. But the giving is a cheerful thing. And I'm not just taught, if we know the joy of giving at Christmas or birthdays or anniversaries or special times, listen, we can know the joy, the cheerfulness of giving of our resources to God. That's what Paul tells us. Intentional and cheerful. I had first Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, maybe I didn't have it on there. Jesse, no, okay. I, I thought about, if we, we looked at Ephesians 1, 3 a few weeks ago as we were looking at the Christian armor, and this is what Paul says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, believers, those who know him, the believers in Ephesus, but that's true of all of us as believers, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual Blessing in Christ. God's given us everything. How can we not be full of cheer as we give back to him? Psalm 100, I read through that this morning. It's a great Thanksgiving psalm, right? Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Wow. Shout for joy to the Lord. Worship the Lord with gladness. Know that the Lord is God. The Lord is good. His love endures forever. Wow, what a great, great truth. And as you think about it, we give intentionally and cheerfully. Six, God funds generous giving. I know if you've ever thought about this before. God funds generous giving giving. You say, what? Well, look at verses 10 and 11 of chapter 9. Verses 10 and 11 of chapter 9. This is what Paul says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, who's that he? God, right? I mean, you follow through, that's where in the context of what Paul's talking about, God Seed to the sower, bread for food. He will also supply, look at this, and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. 
Now, he's not just talking about your bank account. The harvest of your righteousness. We as believers who have been declared right before God, the fruit of that righteous living, as we live our lives, as we sow generously, and this is what Paul says, he who supplies seed to the sower bread will supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Now stay with me, look at verse 11. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. What's the point that I was making? That God funds a generous giver. What's that mean? Simply put, it means that when you're generous, God gives you more to give. Not like the rich man in the book of Luke who had build, build, kept building bigger and better barns, right? No, it's not about that. God funds our generosity. When we're generous, God gives us so we can give more. That's how it works. That's what he's talking about. Man, that is an amazing principle. God gives so we can keep on giving. That's what it's about. This, listen, the prosperity gospel, which really is not properly named because nothing gospel about it but that's kind of how we identify that they use these verses big time to say see if you give God will take care of you except that's not what the context is saying it's about you giving me giving being generous so God gives us more to give and then lastly giving brings praise to God giving brings praise to God Jesse, go back to the last slide because I want you to see the end of, of uh, verse 11. See, and through us your generosity, what? Will result in thanksgiving to who? God. Now, let's go to verse 12 because here's the last point. Giving brings praise to God. This service that you perform, what service? Giving. Read the text, the context, all right? that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, in other words, we give to provide for one another, for the Lord's people, the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many of expressions of thanks to who? God. Verse 13. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, our giving, others will praise God. God, for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. In other words, because we believed, because we were obedient to give. He says that that will accompany the confession of the gospel. That's the gospel of Christ. The obedience comes when we believe, when we receive the gospel. And then he says this as he ends verse 13. And for your generosity and sharing with them and every one else God gets the praise God gets the thanks wow 
You see, we always seem to attach an amount to giving and feel like that if we don't give as much as the other guy or if we don't give enough an amount, then we're not giving as we are. That's not the point. Giving is not about the amount. Giving is about generosity, and that's different for every one of us. It's different for where you are in your walk with God. It's never about the amount. It's about giving with the same spirit and the same attitude that the Macedonian believers gave. It's about giving sacrificially. Giving to the point of sacrifice. That's why in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, Paul said, My God will meet all your needs, supply all your need according to his riches. But he was talking to the church of Philippi who had given to the point of need. We give generously, and that's different for each of us. Giving like Jesus gave. Now, as I wrap this up, as I bring this to a conclusion, if you're thinking, oh, I could never do that, stop. Stop. Don't say that. Don't say I could never do that. You can't. Just like when we saw in the, right, Christian warfare, Ephesians 6, right, we don't stand in our own strength, we stand in the power of God, in his mighty power. But don't say, I could never do that. I could never give like that. Now, I don't want to give it away, but next Sunday, I mean, all of what I'm going to preach, but next Sunday we start our Christmas series. Can you believe it? The first Sunday of December. An unexpected Christmas. I'm going to be talking to you about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And there came a point when Mary said, after she was told that she would give birth, she said, with nothing will be impossible with God. Now, that was, yes, specifically about her being the mother of the baby Jesus, of the Son of God. But it's, it's a principle that is far and wide applicable. With God, nothing will be impossible. We say you can't outgive God. Do you believe that? I'm not going to set you up. Because if I wanted to, I'd ask how, to raise your hand. How many of you believe you can't outgive God? And if you're itching to raise your arm, get your hand up. Don't, but answer this second question. Do you, how do you know that you can't outgive God? If you say you believe that statement, you must know. How do you know? There's only one way that you would know you cannot give God. And that is because you've seen God give when you gave. That's the only way we can know and we can assuredly say. A lot of times we just routinely or matter of fact, yeah, no, cannot give God. So my question would be, have you tried? Have you tried? Have you trusted God? Like the Macedonian believers who gave beyond their own ability, beyond what they could do, beyond what they had in their checking account, and God provided. My question, are you a generous follower of Jesus? 
Are you a generous follower of Jesus? Folks, this morning, I, I can't tell you how much of a joy it is to give. I, I, I think a lot of you know. I, I think you do. I believe you do. I started out by talking to you about our missionary aunt. We know that. Absolutely. You understand if you're a faithful giver. But you know what happens when we talk about giving? There are people who don't like it because there's some guilt that they may feel. Listen, I don't want anybody walking out of here with even an ounce of guilt. Please, don't ever give because you're guilty or you feel that guilt. Now, if it's a conviction of the Holy Spirit, that's another story, right? But as we give, oh, you will know the joy of the Lord in your life. Jane and I have learned that. We've come to understand that. I had a roommate who's one of the top stewardship fundraising guys in his business in the country. Seriously, Christian fundraisers. Stewardship, we'd call it. He challenged me, I don't know, five or six years ago. He was my college roommate, and he says, Glenno, I want you to think about giving 20% of your income to God. I said, Pat, you're nuts. I said, there's no way. What do you think? I'm crazy. How in the world? Percent, not a dollar amount, right? And he said, well, I want you to pray about it. I want you to work at it. And he would regularly, hey, how you doing? You can give 20%. You can give 20%. I said, Pat, it, not in this day and age. It, it just, it won't work. But as I began to study, as I began to think, and as Jane and I would talk, and as we'd pray, and it became more and more of a goal and something we believed we could do. And I want you to know, the last couple of years, we've hit 20%. Now, I'm not telling you that because I want you to think anything more of me. That's not it. In fact, we prayed a lot about this. We talked about this. It was in my mind, and Jane says, I think we should. Because I don't want you to think that I'm hypocritically standing up here talking about what it means to be a generous giver and not doing it. It's real easy to do that. I can say a lot of things from this place right here, and you don't know if it's really true in my life. I want you to know it's true. We are practicing what we believe God would have us to do. Do you know what? My friend also says this. 10% is a great place to start. It's a bad place to stop. 20% is also a bad place to stop. Because we got to the point where we're there and I'm like, okay, now we've arrived. The same God who allowed us to do that could help us to give more. But we'll never know if we don't try. We'll never know if we don't trust God. So I want you to know, don't think anything more of us. It's not because God is the one. I can't tell you how we do it. I have no idea. I know that we have a dryer or washing machine. A dryer that's 44 years old. 
And that's not because of the makers. It's a Maytag. <laughs> I have tires on my 2008 Honda that I, I keep waiting. I like, I've got to buy more. And I, I'm like, wait a minute. These tires must have like 150,000 miles on them. I don't understand this. You see, that's what God does. Now, I will also tell you that we had to spend about $300 a couple of months ago to have Roto-Rooter come and unclog a drain because just a normal plumber couldn't do that. So I'm not claiming here prosperity gospel. I'm not saying that there will never be expenses. But you know what? You just continue to give whatever it is that God puts on your heart. Am I challenging you to give 20%? Nope. But if you have a friend that hounds you like Pat did me, who knows? Let the Spirit of God hound you to do. Because you know what? When you give, you will know a joy that's like nothing else can give. It's like, wait a minute. How does God do that? How does God do that? I don't know. But he does. Here's the verse I want to close with. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we become rich. Wow. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would know the amazing joy of giving. That we would look at joy as the Macedonians did as a privilege. Not a reluctant drudgery kind of a thing. Oh God, I thank you for your provision. I thank you for your grace in our lives who know you and who have what we have because of the grace of God. Use us as your people to reach this area for Christ. Oh God, I pray that we would know the joy of giving for the glory of God. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.